Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to another Wo Records podcast. And I'm completely and utterly distracted because the Zoom was all over the place. Uh, our guest today is the illustrious Dinah Mo. Hi, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Dinah. Are you comfortable with the introduction of illustrious? Um, well, it's kind of almost a pun because I illustrate, so I would be illustrious. Yeah, our writing team came up with that. We were all really proud. Wow. <laughs> So where should we go? I have just destroyed everything. Where should we go? Should we do well, a little more of an introduction? You yeah, maybe talk we about? should say who I am because I've kind of completely vanished from your orbit for like five for, years. Yeah, it's about right. Five years. Because you were, you were a mainstay kind of back in the day, but then you left us for greener pastures. Uh, yes, greener. Um, <laughs> uh, well... To be honest, like uh, I was still doing albums, I just wasn't there in, in person very much. I was still doing art. Like there's only been like I think a three year window, and that that whole three year window was spent thinking Min the Kung Fu Monkeys album would come out. Yeah, yeah, but that's finally gonna happen, so it's it's a good thing. For those of you who don't know, um, and happen to be smart enough to own a large majority of the Wo Records catalog, Dinah has provided most of that artwork. I would not, say not half, maybe. Well, that's that's kind of most. Okay. Well, you know, if if not most, a very decent percentage therein, because her work is actually that good. So um, we I, will, and I work cheap. Very very cheap. I appreciate that because the label is incredibly poor, as the American Express bill just came before you did. Uh, let us go to, without question, my favorite CD face. Uh, of all time, which is the international language of love. So we're going to play the 20 Below's and the Zatapex back-to-back. Hooray! But it's dumb. Don't wear any dead, don't wear any dead, don't wear any dead, yeah, yeah. Don't wear 
from this I didn't know Cause I was already an optimist I always rather like this life I was never ready to say goodnight Not again, said we're forever Out of things, sleep on the park Cause I always make up a story like this Suffer like a belt digger The depression of a kid Cause it's all so when dead It's all when dead It's all when dead So moving on to the greener pastures that we joked about, um, around that time, you started really going full on to the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Well, it's kind of, I was doing it at the same time, and I met you guys because you guys came to my show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. I mm-hmm. had Ergs and you guys, and I don't know who, uh, but, but I was already doing improv comedy starting in like 98, and you guys were coming because... John Bowie of Egghead was also in the group. It was right. called Feature Feature. And we did that for three years. And then... Uh, that was actually a really cool... One of my favorite, if not my favorite, of all the UCB shows that I've been to over the years. Just a really cool concept where you guys would just take a line and then do a movie, then Yeah, take a we break. take a line. It's completely improvised, so it's unscripted. And we know absolutely nothing ahead of time. But, you know, we knew each other. We had worked together, so we all kind of knew each other's tendencies and rhythms and what made us laugh. And we took a line from a real song from the audience, and then we created a 25 to 30 minute movie live on stage, uh, like a genre movie, such as like a Western or a film noir or something. But none of it was planned ahead of time. And we did that. It was very, very popular from like 98 to Mm. 2002, I think. Two is about right. Um, And then we had a mass exodus of almost the entire cast to Los Angeles one at a time. So I'm the only one left from the original crew who's still in New York. Well, it's about time you get moving then, huh? I suppose. But that was a pretty talented cast overall, right? I mean, basically everyone has gone on to television, if not to movies and both. Right. Well, one member of our cast uh, is a screenwriter. He wrote Road Trip and Old School, and his current movie is Semi Pro, which also features two or three other members of our group in the cast. And another member of the group was a correspondent on The Daily Show, and Mm -hmm. another member of the group is the man in the Sonic commercials, uh, as well as being in my video project, which is going to be on superdeluxe.com, hopefully in the next month or two. Okay. We will get to Keiki and all of that shortly. Let us go to a feature feature, double feature. Look at the the, the writing team at, at work here. And we will play John Ross Bowie with Egghead. And then it was Brian Husky, right? Who was in yep. The Sonic Man and hopefully more than that shortly. Uh, his mid-90s indie alternative band Bicycle Face. Yep. And that song is Walter and Cassandra. Just fine. Hey man. 
Bob a wheelie, I can go real fast. While you were still doing Feature Feature, you were you did a one-woman show called Riot Nerd. Yep, and the Ergs were a part of that show. Mm-hmm. They performed live on stage, and then later we incorporated more into the show where we had them draw pictures of the events. It was it was a storytelling show. I just told stories. It was not me singing show tunes and wearing hats. It was just <laughs> like a storytelling show. But as I was telling the stories, they would on stage draw pictures with crayons depicting the actions of the story, and then later they just sort of drew whatever they wanted and would display them on stage and uh joe Rigg's mom said it was her favorite show she's ever seen <laughs> so uh it was we only did it very briefly we did it for like maybe four shows it was mm-hmm. only like a month but it was fun and and you know god bless them for trekking in from jersey over and over again to do this show where they basically probably played five minutes of music over a half hour 
So uh, it was a good time. Yeah, I really enjoyed that show. I thought it was it was interesting for me for knowing you only a little bit at that time and then learning so much more as a result of the stories. Uh, as much as I liked it, after seeing everything else you've done, I probably would have to say it was your weakest, which is not saying that it was bad as much as it's just yeah, how much better you've to, gotten. To be honest, like doing the one woman show was kind of, I wanted to do one just because I wanted to see if I could, but it's really not a medium I'm particularly fond of. Even while doing it, I, I kind of got the point. It's like, who cares? Who cares about my <laughs> dumb stories um i much prefer doing something that's a little more interactive or, or with more people or on or improv or you know it's just like a one woman show or a one man show there's so many bad ones that you feel like you have to apologize for doing one while you're doing it you're like all right it's a woman show but really it's not a woman show so you know because i there's so many cliches and so many awful ones and the thing is those are the ones that get people jobs and get them sent to festivals right. and stuff where it's like you come on stage and there's like wacky hats on a clothesline and the woman comes out and sings like a song from Annie and then talks about some incredibly minor upper middle class trauma like oh someone in the seventh <laughs> grade said I was fat and it traumatized me for life and I've overcame it and here's my song about how I overcame it I mean it's just like it there's a certain kind of ego in in the acting world I know it's gonna shock your listeners to the core that actors are ego ego maniacal but um i'm glad i did it i wouldn't do it again that's how i'll put it okay that's fair uh but like i said i enjoyed it but i've never seen another one or one person show yeah make Um, a point not to okay listeners I, i i'm gonna take the advice even if the audience does not uh, let's go to the aforementioned ergs, and uh, we will do 1,000 letters, because you also did that artwork for Three Guys, Twelve Eyes, yeah, the much out of print. And uh, to give a piece of comedy world trivia, on the on the back of that uh, Three Guys, Twelve Eyes album, uh, Mikey Erg is wearing a shirt that says, I have a crush on Aaron Bergeron. Uh-huh. He is a UCB performer who went on to be a Daily Show writer and then a writer for a bunch of other shows. He printed up a bunch of shirts that say, I have a crush on Aaron Bergeron, and then dispensed them to start rumors, I guess, that he was very popular. And Mikey has one of the few shirts huh. around. I never got that reference, to be honest. It's hardly worth getting. Well, apparently it is. <laughs> Like hell, but hell, what can I do? 
Continue on the whole shows tip, and then we'll switch around. Probably my favorite thing that you did, but I don't know. I'd have to really think about this. Would be uh, Girl Crush Neo yep. Tokyo 2040. Neo Tokyo Girl Crush 2040. Sorry, I got it all backwards. I didn't read my notes carefully enough because they were too far away, and I'm going to remedy that right now. Talk to me about that a little bit. In 2002, and then in 2004, I did two different versions of a live-action anime show, mm-hmm. which is one of those things, like, you spend a lot of time going, it's it's anime, but really it's not, you know, I know you think of, like, a really fat guy wearing a spandex outfit and a weird wig, but no, this is actually funny and good. Um, <laughs> we had a cast of, uh, like, 12... It was a completely original script, kind of taking all the cliches of Japanese animation and doing them on stage, both the kind of dumb story things, and we had action sequences with people flying and having magic swords and really weird, creepy sexual scenes with giant rubbery tentacles squirting things on people's faces. But we, we did those for... I think six months each time. It was a completely new script both times. Uh, I still have all the wigs in my closet. <laughs> those wigs were awesome. Yeah, uh, we actually, I mean, it's one of those things where reaching out beyond your tiny community helps. And because of the internet, there's so many these weird insular communities like we were talking about during the song. There are people who do nothing but make anime costumes all year round and just sending out like a dozen or five million emails. I found one who had enough of a sense of humor about anime to, to help us out. And she made these really elaborate wigs that we wore. Mine probably wore way about 20 pounds it looked like it because yours yeah. was the pink one right and they were it was quite pink. large it had uh little balls on top it had uh four foot long ponytails it had braids <sighs> on the side it was covered in flowers and glitter and ribbons uh and i had to be upside down while wearing it oh, so that's it right. was very heavily attached to my head which is uh i don't have a lot of hair so uh, there wasn't that much to connect it to but yeah it was really fun i'd love to do it again sometime well weren't you in talks with mtv about actually putting it on you know this is going to be totally bizarre we have had like a negotiation with MTV, like like ninety percent, and and God bless indie media for actually getting things done. We were contacted not only by MTV but by Morgan Spurlock, who did oh, wow. fast food. Uh, no, what did he do? Supersize me. Right. That's his thing. He before he did that was just some guy who had like a crappy day job at VH1, and all he did was just pitch stuff over and over again. He pitched like dozens of things a season. He saw the show, really liked it. He said, "I'm a producer. Come meet with me." And I'm like, "Awesome." I go to his office. It's just like some cube at VH1. He says, I have this guy who makes foam wigs. I think it'll be great. I want to do a TV adaption of your show. And I said, okay. And then we got a contact from a different person who actually was a development person at MTV who said, oh, that guy, yeah, he just, he just pitches stuff. He, don't, he doesn't help you. He's not, hmm. So we ended up not working with Morgan Spurlock. So I would say by turning him down, we created Supersize Me because he was so despondent over not <laughs> making Girl Crush into a TV show that he started eating at McDonald's every day. But basically, we were in talks with this MTV lady, and I'm using that very loosely. We got like an email once every four or five months. And then after... Uh, 
the person who was in the cast who was her friend uh, was not cast in the second version, she quickly dropped the show and didn't want to develop it anymore. So, and then we had another uh, producer who also wanted to work with us, and I met with him like seven times. Gonna, he had like a camera crew and a studio and stuff, and then he also just completely vanished. So, Girl Crush has never been uh, captured on film due to crappy producers. So, is the moral of the story not to trust producers? I think the or... moral of the story is just do it yourself, and no, like I think moral. that's what your your listeners and and fans of <laughs> indie music certainly know already. <laughs> You're really confused with this whole listeners thing. No one listens to these things. Yeah. If it's like the secret, you have to wish for it, and then it just comes to you. Act as if you have listeners, and you'll get I listeners. thought the secret only works if you actually buy the secret, the book or the DVD. You haven't bought the secret yet, <laughs> No, Johnny? I didn't buy the secret. I actually just did deliver a copy last night to someone, but I didn't actually partake in, in the secret's powers. On that note, let's go to uh, The Unlovables with Inconsolable, and I'm going to play this song because um, in the last couple months I had a conversation with Hallie and she got angry at me because I insisted that we put this song last on the album, and she had said she had wanted it second to last, and she now feels that it's like the forgotten stack child that no one actually listens to because it's last and, and she's inconsolable over and that. she's inconsolable over it much like morgan spurlock
So let's talk about uh, the design work as you're pointing out logos in the studio that you just said you've done. Uh, you've done, I mean, like I said, you've worked quite a bit on all our stuff, but you know, what else have you done? And how do you balance that with your, I want to say performing, but I don't want to say performing because comedy stuff. Let's just leave it at comedy because we'll delve deeper later. Here's how you balance it. You get money for doing design work. Uh-huh. You don't get money for doing comedy. So it balances out pretty well. <laughs> well, just so you know, here in Whoa Studios, the entire wall is it's covered Ill by... Street Studios, by the way. What is it? I'm sorry? Ill Street Studios. All right. I'm going to start. Here in Ill Street Studios, the recording room is covered by beautiful rock show posters. Uh, mm-hmm. And Johnny is so magnanimous. It's not just Whoa posters. It's many posters. Yeah, we got a little bit of it. And I'm just noticing on one of the posters is a logo that I did for a small record label called Cheapskate Records, which I actually haven't seen since I did it two or three years ago. I didn't even... I, I get asked to do a lot of like sort of websites and like little projects that I'm pretty sure the company's never actually happened. So it's interesting to see that it's on a poster there. You um, also do a lot of, let's say, handbills or like you said, more internet stuff for all the UCB shows, right? I mean, is yeah, that I mean, basically exclusive? Or? Well, uh, no, it's it's not exclusive. And they actually have other artists who work with them now just because I'm charged too much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from the UCB theater... She's worth it, folks. Thank you. The UCB theater actually now has... There's a UCB LA and a UCB New York. Mm-hmm. And so I do little pieces for them. It's mostly flyers or posters, you know, show logos. I've done like... I try not to do websites because they're too much work, but I've done websites for a bunch of... Like I did the old Dirt Bike Annie website. I did the, right. like the very first Unlovables website. I did the very first Ergs website. And I'm in the process of redoing the Kung Fu Monkeys website, which I did in 2001. Uh, and albums, aside from all the Whoa catalog, um, I also have done a bunch of comedians albums so i did like a mark Marin album i did a matt besser album there's a, a stand-up named mike morbiglia i did one of his albums oh, wow. uh the matt besser one was kind of cool because i got to color um peter bags artwork he did the comics comic book hate i mean he's doing apocalypse nerd now he's kind of a big deal indie comic yeah, I've artist heard of him. i forgot what the original question was but i i've done a ton just of design work in general and what you've actually done i undercharge because i like doing interesting projects i've done like uh ad agency work and it pays extremely well kind of more mm-hmm. you get more money for doing it than you should because it's really tedious and awful but if a project's interesting i try to charge not very much money which kind of gets me in the end but i'd rather not charge very much and do an interesting project than charge what i'm worth and do only pharmaceutical ads but you do i mean have done quite a few interesting things i have to say i mean i'm i'm impressed with your portfolio more so than anyone else's or right up there with anyone else's that i know or even well, the people that I know are the only ones portfolios that I really check. Like, I thought those two wedding invitations that you did were pretty awesome. And uh, wasn't it like back in the day, maybe because it's been a few years, I don't remember, but weren't you doing uh, like a drawing trade where you would tr- uh, draw the, each a person every month and they would draw you type of yeah, thing? Yeah, I, I did a couple one. One was where I just did a small digital portrait of a friend usually in a weird situation, every day for December. Then I next the next year I did one where if someone drew a picture of me, I drew a picture of them. And I did Jack McBrayer of 30 Rock. He was the oh, first wow. one in there. He's a, he's a UCB guy, too. I'm just name-dropping McDame Drop here. But, but you know what? It's not, though, because those are people you've interacted with, with all your involvement at UCB, which we'll get into a little bit more and shortly. So it's not. Don't feel okay. that way. Um, I think the audience will be impressed because, God damn it, I'm impressed. But... Don't uh, Jack McBear was also on Girl Crush 2040. He played Sakura Urine and Drag. Oh, wow, that's right. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah, he was uh, he's super talented. 
and deserves all of his success. But yeah, I, I do portrait projects. The thing I most recently did was I did a portrait of uh, Baroque Obama, which is Barack that. Obama entirely covered with Baroque curly cues. And uh, in gold. And gold leaf. It's pretty dumb. Actually, I, I thought very funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was kind of hoping that would go viral and I'd be able to like get a bazillion dollars for it, but it hasn't <laughs> happened yet in the one week since I did it. I also, uh, I'm a huge fan of the show Mad Men on AMC, and it so happens like a guy who I didn't know that well in New York, but was a UCB guy, is in the cast, and he asked me to do his Christmas cards, so I got to do uh, this really cool illustration of the entire cast of Mad Men, which he gave to everyone in the cast, so I was pretty oh. psyched about that. It's in, it's in my Flickr. Uh, it's pretty cool. I spent probably like four months doing it, because I got very obsessive about making sure everything was accurately depicted. <laughs> both in terms of depicting the cast and set of Mad Men, but also to make it look like it was done in 1960. So that was cool. Let us go to uh, Dirt Bike Annie with the wedding song, and then we'll go with the Kung Fu Monkeys with I Dig the Way That You Move, and we'll talk about that when we come back, because you did both those artworks. Yes, uh, the did. first one was the wedding EP, which is now out of print, and it is, again, one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, I don't I even have a copy of it. Yeah, um, that's a shame because I don't have any more. But I, I really, that's one of my favorite releases overall, just the way it all came together. And and, um, and the wedding was fun that we got, they played at. I went with them. I wasn't invited. <laughs> Get to you. 
So the uh, Shindig Volume 3 with a the electric tangerine smile, that artwork, again, one of my favorites, and the back is actually a little bit more of my favorite, even though the front is much cooler. But your face is on the back. My face is on the back, and there's also a dog on the back, but I like the back because I had that drunken idea of how cool would it be to have a 7-inch that you would look through the red and the blue clear vinyl and it would pop out 3D, which kind of works, which mm. I must tip my hat to you because I didn't think... You didn't it, think it would work. No, I didn't. I just thought it would well, have been kind of funny if it didn't work to have people across the country holding up records to their face. Well, the difficulty is you have to look through the part where there aren't any grooves. Right. And unless your eyes are really incredibly close together or very far apart, it doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's talk about the front a little. That was an homage. Uh, it was James's idea. Um, he also has crazy visionary ideas that we should in exquisite detail recreate the cover of the zombies album odyssey and oracle and i actually said he should have misspelled some word in the title to make it truly a tribute to odyssey and oracle the problem is that uh i'm not an lsd user and i'm pretty (laughs) sure the gentleman who did the original cover was and to try and recreate those swirling organic patterns in a program like adobe illustrator i think the front cover alone was 100 hours Jesus of just Christ, really? drawing tiny shapes and swirls to try and make it authentic. I, I, luckily, like uh, Mike Falloon actually mailed me his LP copy of it, so I had a pretty good thing to to work from. But uh, that's crazy. I had no that's idea. That's the took most. That long. That's the hardest cover I've ever done in terms of just execution. Well, it shows because uh, it's brilliant, and people should buy uh, as many copies of it as they can. Unfortunately, it's out of print. What? Yeah, we did actually only a small run of that one, but you can get all those songs on. The brand new Kung Fu Monkeys uh, Rarities compilation CD that you also were so generous enough to do the artwork for. I'm incredibly psyched for this album coming out. I'm a huge Kung Fu Monkeys fan. Mm-hmm. This album was really fun to do. And it also, people should get it because uh, it has an incredibly long interview uh, conversation email style between all members of the Kung Fu Monkeys right. past and present. Uh, I managed to fit, uh, I think, 12 full-size 8 by 11 pages of the conversation into a tiny booklet. I don't know how you did that, and I was expecting it to be more pages, but I'm happy that it wasn't for a cost sake. But uh, did you come up with the whole, the title of the album is Christmas for Breakfast, and then in true Kung Fu Monkeys fashion, there's like a thousand words after it. Did you come up with the whole, just the art concept well, for the cover that people... We were talking about doing this album, I think, for the last three years it's about three years um and that's no one's fault it just happens and and usually james has like kind of an idea of what he wants and you know there is a kung fu monkeys aesthetic that that sort of pitches to right. a certain kind of artwork but like it didn't have a title until pretty recently so and then we came up with a title he came up with a title and then um i he just had no idea and i had no idea and uh, i happened to find like this 1960 children's book and i i credit the name of the the artist author in the mm-hmm. booklet but I, I don't remember it off the top of my head i found it on Flickr, and it was a kid's book called the boy who wouldn't eat his breakfast and it showed a very cheeky boy sitting at a highly stylized, weird 1960 table with a wiener dog eating a, a sausage off his fork. And since the title was Christmas for Breakfast, I just uh, redrew the artwork in Illustrator and then made a bunch of changes to make it a little more Kung Fu Monkeys-esque. And a uh, little more Christmassy. A little more Christmassy. He's eating a bowl of Christmas ornaments and feeding one to his dog. And oh, I thought they were cookies because ornaments would be painful but sure we'll go with ornaments yeah they're uh, they're striped and they have little hooks on the top 
It's very, very small. You wouldn't be able to tell. Uh, and I put glasses on the kid because uh, that's very Kung Fu Monkeys. Yes, yes, it is. So it's actually really fun. And I actually recycled my Mad Men Christmas card Christmas tree into the packaging oh, as well. Look at that. Uh, it was so tiny on the Christmas card for Mad Men that I, I changed it a little bit. But it, since it also was based on a 1960 illustration, I thought it would fit in. So that Christmas tree also appears. It has, actually, if you get the album when it does, and you will get the album, uh, <laughs> look at the CD. I'm very proud of that. It's a beautiful awesome five-color uh, picture on the CD face. And I, I drew the text myself, which I'm also pretty happy about. It's not a font. I drew every letter. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Jesus Christ. See, it's like the, the whole art world is a world that I just don't know anything about because uh, I'm pretty terrible. I'm more of a stick figure kind of guy. Uh, let's play the Kung Fu Monkeys again. And then um, something that you have in your apartment that I'm really jealous of, like really jealous of, is that Elvis Costello... This year's model with the with the what's it called with the um, the print on the side. Oh, like it's the... it's intentionally misaligned so you see the printer's proof on the yeah, edge the, of the that's album. That's what I meant. The proof. Yeah, I'm really really jealous of that. So we're gonna play Elvis Costello Radio Radio. Yeah. 
to some of your more recent shows, I yep. guess is the best way to describe it. Shows. Sure. Uh, talk to me about My Wife the Ghost. Um, well, uh, we have a thing in New York that was called Channel 102. It's now called Channel 101 New York, which is the New York branch of mm-hmm. Channel 101. And it's uh, everybody who wants can submit a, a video that's under five minutes in the style of a TV show. It can be any kind of show, but sort of the idea that it could be a TV show. And then they screen it live in front of an audience. For a while, we were at the Tribeca Cinemas down in Tribeca, and now it's at Pianos, which is a bar on the Lower East Side. And the audience votes on which of the 10 or whatever shows which they want to continue. And uh, My With the Ghost was the first show that I did with a couple other guys. It's a fake early 1960s uh, magic wife sitcom. Uh, and we did uh, five episodes of it. Uh, this would have been like in 2005, I think. Mm-hmm. But it had a pretty good run. We ended up self-canceling just because it was taking too long to do. Uh, but Channel 102, uh, now Channel 101, is really great. And if if you can, like, look it up on the internet. It's really cool. And, like, anyone could submit a show. So all you sort of need is a camera. And It is pretty good stuff, though. I mean, most of it's really funny. Weren't you guys um, in talks with Comedy Central? Comedy Central bought it. They just didn't show it. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. Uh, That's a shame. Comedy Central has like a web humor site. I just like nobody goes to it because it doesn't work on Macs and it doesn't work. It's like not a very well put together thing. But they were just launching it and they were looking for content. So they bought our five episodes and commissioned us to write three more, which we did. And then they changed their mind. And the the guy who would really advocating for us got overruled by the guy above him. Uh, This is becoming a theme of... Hmm. My story that, yeah, yeah, it is, which is a shame. Well, you know why? Because 
once it stops being a theme, you're not going to talk to us peons anymore, and you'll be in your penthouse suites. Oh, well, and more likely, it'll be, I'll it'll... move to L.A. like everyone else and slowly kill myself with alcohol and driving. <laughs> but, At the same time? Oh, one would hope. Uh, but you can still see My Wife the Ghost on Channel 102 site or on YouTube or just search for My Wife the Ghost, and I'm sure a hundred versions of it will come up. There's a big trend to just sort of poach content from sites and post them on other sites, so like, I'm so, sure... Um, to cut you off just a little, let's talk about some poaching as something came up off air before about some um, oh, a magazine no. from New Jersey who copied some of your artwork don't, without don't permission. Don't drag me into your scandal. I like scandals. Uh, they build the quote-unquote ratings. There okay. are no ratings. No, just, you know, the problem with stuff being on the web and both art and video and music and stuff is people don't kind of forget that someone has to make it so i've had a problem with a couple magazines and fanzines and and whatnot just sort of taking my art and not crediting it to me and i'm sure photographers have the same complaint that people like take your show photos and reprint them in a zine without okay. talking to you so i just behoove people at large to at least ask the person whose art it is before you publish it in your magazine i think that's fair um let's play a couple more songs, and then we will uh, continue with what you're really currently doing, because I'm actually very excited to hear Hooray. more about it. Uh, so this is going to be Darlington, and the song is Ocelots, which you did do the cover I for. I did the cover for that. And this is Full of Fancy, and the song is Mikey Says, which you did not do the cover of, no. but I kind of felt that it was almost in your vein. I really like the way it looks. Wink. So, wink, wink, nudge. Nudge. Bright summer day, hot Texas sun is out. Gonna go to the zoo, check all the cool animals out. Me and my special girl, she's my special sweetie. Holding hands, kissing, lost in a dreamland, and I wish. Yeah, run away from everybody trying to tear us apart Wish we were ocelots, yeah Sweaty and hot, but I still sport jeans So no one can see my dad legs Cool off in the reptile house, steal a kiss At the giraffe's and The white tiger cubs are cute And so is a baby white monkey too But my favorite was the ocelots we couldn't really see and I wish We were ocelots, yeah Run away from everybody Trying to tear us apart Wish we were ocelots, yeah
Okay, so I lied. I know I said I would go right into what you're doing right now, but talk to me first about the first steps. Oh, that was just another one of two show that never, the audience didn't like, so they didn't vote it back, so we didn't make another one. Uh, it's weird. It's actually the most popular thing I've done on YouTube because it, the tags say David Lynch, so David Lynch fans have been watching it, but it's not huh. particularly David Lynchy. But there's a bunch of other videos also that I did that kind of the audience didn't like. I did a bunch of videos with this guy, Mitch McGee, who's really, really hilarious. And we did uh, four different shows all in a row that the audience didn't like and didn't vote for, so we never made another one. I mean, that's filled a pretty decent amount of time between there and what you're kind to do a now yep right which is cakey yeah i did a show for 102 again called cakey the cake from outer space and it was very popular it was uh often very close to being number one for the entire run again we stopped doing it just because it became too expensive and time consuming but turner has a website called superdeluxe.com mm-hmm. uh, and they even before they launched wanted to buy it from us and through very fr- frustrating negotiations it took them almost two years to finally wow. settle it so these have not not been on the internet for almost two years, but we made four new ones and we redid the sound on the old ones. It's sort of in an ET-ish vein, mm, I would say. It's about a magic cake from space who is uh, played by a puppet and a special boy who, and they have adventures. What of note to to Woe Records fans in general is we use Kung Fu Monkey's music in one mm. scene, uh, and we have another scene which features sort of a cliched mall punk teenager who gets a comeuppance, which might be a fun to pop punk fan everywhere i'm really happy with what we shot and uh, the episodes are really fun and if uh, super deluxe ever puts them up I, it would be good if that uh, you tell your friends mm-hmm. uh, to go and watch it a million times and rate it really high and tell everyone about it and write about it on your website uh where can people see the older stuff the oldest stuff not counting cakey because we had to remove it from right. the internet as it's really super dumb when they people add. <laughs> Anytime you sell something, they tell you to take it down, which of course like ruins any buzz that the show has. You can go to channel102.net or ny.channel101.com. Uh, look for my name and you can get every show that I've ever worked on that's on the site. What would you like to hear? I like music that's funny because I am a comedian first. And I'm a big fan of Adam Green, so I would like to hear friends of mine. And also search for the video on YouTube because it's also hilarious. And we live on borrowed time, but this headshot's pretty good. I've been scheming for too long I was starstruck by your mom We fall in love by accident A heavenly coincidence No matter what you think is true Let me introduce you to some Friends of mine Pistol-ripping chase I regret the drugs you lost So I skipped our second date We fall in love by accident A heavenly coincidence 
No matter what you think is true Let me introduce you to some Friends of mine Oh, friends of mine We fall in love by accident A heavenly coincidence No matter what you think is true Let me introduce you to Can't figure out this place Guess someone hates my guts I handed him the sign We only really touched upon your UCB involvement and something that I really wanted to talk to you about. Uh, You're not performing as much as you're directing these days. Uh, What prompted that and uh, how do you feel or do you kind of miss performing at this point? Um, Is that something you want to go back to? You know, I miss performing. I miss being famous among a very incredibly tiny and nerdy community. I've been doing, I've lived in New York for 10 years. I've been doing UCB for eight of those years or Mm. nine, really. I think it might be nine. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Everyone from Feature Feature moved to LA over like a four-year period. So uh, improv is very group-based, and um, you kind of can't be a freelance performer. You kind of depend on your group. That's fair. And, and I mean, when, I think you can say the same thing with music. It's the kind of thing that it takes time to build that connection right. with the people around you so you can really perform and, at your best. And UCB really like, exploded in population. When I first yeah. started, it was maybe the same 20 people. And a lot of those people are kind of well-known now, which is cool. Human Giant is UCB people and the people I mentioned from Feature Feature who are doing movies now. When like everyone you sort of came up with and studied with and like had friendships and team relationships with all moves away, it becomes really difficult difficult to try and Mm. pick up and start over when I feel like oldest person in the world because for a lot of people they're just starting or you know they have a lot of enthusiasm because they just got there I'm just like I've done 400 million improv shows (laughs) I can't get that excited about this and I was in another group after feature feature called monkey dick Mm -hmm. and I was the only girl on an all-male team and there were really tough customers in that team. Uh, no metrosexuals in the mix, like really duty dudes. Uh, and I, I love a lot of those guys tremendously, and I still do videos with them. After Monkey Dick, that was the last time I performed regularly, and they broke up in 2003, maybe? Or, okay. or I left the group in 2003. So I switched to directing, and I directed a sketch show called Seven Fights with two members of Monkey Dick that was really funny. And I started directing videos instead of performing live just because you kind of have more control over it, and you don't have you're not as dependent on drawing an audience like at a certain point in comedy like in music I'm too I can imagine like 90% of your effort is put into just please come to my show like please don't let me perform to an empty house yeah it's depressing. Um, video you don't have to worry about that you just have to worry about people stealing your stuff 
stuff and <laughs> spending the money to get like everyone at the shoot and stuff like that. Well, it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but UCB in terms of popularity, even just here, I mean, it seems that more people are going and shows are selling out more and more. Maybe I'm just talking to people who are going or performers who are involved in it. And maybe because I've gone and I'm kind of seeing mm-hmm. people a little bit of everywhere. There's a couple of guys that I've seen on either ESPN.com or even on uh, like an H&R Block commercial and stuff like that. So uh, is that something you would consider? Because I mean, maybe you don't have to worry about that no, built-in audience I mean, because I, of the built-in audience. I, I just directed seven fights and, and, you know, it was two guys who were really funny but doing comedy forever, but, you know, they're not names. They don't have MTV shows. And it's a really funny sketch show, but ne- we never had a consistent slot. The audience would be uh, maybe 30 people. Whereas like weekend shows where it's the same slot every week and right. like, oh, That's a people thing. you recognize or they've been doing it forever. That kind of is a built-in audience. And like 90% of that audience are like either comedy super fans or students or people on other teams. Right. So that selling out isn't entirely accurate a lot of the time. So, and the other thing is there's just tons of competitions. There are two other big comedy theaters in New York now, mm-hmm. as well as like a bunch of independent, like tiny places that'll just put up shows. So it's sort of exploded in popularity, but kind of people have reached comedy saturation, I think. And so it's it's still just as hard to draw an audience, if not harder. Building off that, I mean, a few years ago, you did a, there was a big push to save UCB, I guess, or they were kind of hurting and you did... Well, the, the- the oh the problem wasn't that we ran out of money it's that we got closed by the city right for, i remember for that code moving. violations and they couldn't find a place to open we did a uh i and the manager of the ucb theater who knew other bands we put up a benefit that basically was supposed to help ucb theater and exile rent spaces to put up shows so okay. we wouldn't have a vacuum by the time we'd actually gotten the club and booked all the bands which was like Dirtbag Annie, Ergs, Unlovables, like yep. all the people who I knew a member of the band, uh, as well as some really awful, crusty, I don't even know what this band was that the manager got. It's a completely weird band. Yeah, um, they're a New York band who shall remain nameless. Right. Well, find a bill from that show and maybe you can figure out who we're talking about. Okay. But we, by the time we got the benefit up and running, the theater had already found a place that would lease to them and they ended up moving into their current space. But for a couple months, it really was touch and go and we didn't know where we would find... Like the first UCB theater... When I first moved here, they were just renting spaces. The first actual theater that they had a lease on and they put up shows every night was an ex-porn theater closed by Giuliani Hmm. to the part where we were cleaning out the basement. We found, is this a family podcast? Never. I think they found something like 38 used dildos in the basement as they were cleaning out the space. How could they tell they were used? They were not cleaned. Ah. It was a porn theater that was sort of reconfigured, and that's where Feature Feature was that you guys came to. They were sort of randomly closed, and there's a conspiracy around this that we were next door to this tile store that was run by this extremely strange lady who was part of this strange, you know, raising consciousness, new agey cult or something, because she always had flyers for their seminars in her window. You know, it's a theater and people come out and they've had a couple beers and just sort of like any bar or restaurant, people wait in front of the place to like get a cab or whatever. So this lady or the condo that they just opened across the street started calling 311 and complaining all the noise all this place whatever and this is like you know chelsea it's not like this is a you know suburban neighborhood we got they called in complaints constantly and we're pretty sure it's the tile store lady next door based on what happened next we got closed for too many noise complaints or whatever firefighters came in and said oh fire hazard or whatever of course Um, i mean we had all our permits and everything but they doesn't matter that's what they do or they sit there and they click and say that you have too many people in there and it's a fire violation they close it down and here's a 
of summons. Yeah. A little peak of New York life for you listeners from outside the five boroughs. But anyway, they, they shut the place down. We're out of, and we were making good money. The theater was expanding every year, like huge school. The school, for the most part, paid for the theater at that point. Uh, people can take classes and learn how to either write sketch or do improv. Um, and I've taught classes there. And it's a great program if I you're interested I would love in it. to do it. I just don't have the balls. Maybe uh, one day I will. Well, it's it's fun. I recommend it. Uh, even though I'm not teaching anymore because they told me I was too mean and I couldn't teach anymore. <laughs> so anyway, the theater had no home. What happened next was the tile store lady bought the bought the building, mm-hmm. opened up a cult center for her weird oh, new wow. agey religion, and started having seminars in our old theater space. But the comeuppance of that is, of course, it bombed because people don't want to take freaking new agey bullshit seminars in an ex porn theater. So it closed. It reopened as a cafe, which also taught seminars. It closed yeah. again and became a different restaurant that had improv shows in it. Oh, uh, yeah. So and the worst was when like the unknowing person who booked acts for this cafe posted on a on a message board, "Hey, we're looking for improv to play at our space," and like everyone still smarting from the theater closing came down them like a ton of bricks. <laughs> so it's now some kind of ambiguous cafe slash restaurant, but that was the original side of the UCB, and now we are in a space that used to be the Roundabout Theater, and then was like the Jewish Rep or something, and they've been there for I don't know five six yeah, years. Yeah, it's about five years. I was saying. I'm yeah. Thinking. So um, that's in a nutshell a very unresearched. Have you, History of the um, UCB Theater as I know it. Have you read the book Blink? They mention a UCB yeah. show. They mention a show called Mother, which right. uh, I have no affiliation with. And that's because the um, the guy who was in Feature Feature who wrote Semi-Pro and Old School mm-hmm. uh, is friends with Malcolm Gladwell. Ah, uh, that makes sense. But it does fit in with the book. But uh, And it's not even really like hurrah, hurrah, UCB. He well, actually doesn't even mention the theater by name. He just kind of mentions the theater underneath well, the Bristides. Yeah, it, it fits into this whole thing of like what you do in the the moment of yeah it's it's all about making instant uh your instant it's your instant reaction and how accurate that actually is instead of overthinking anyway let's go to yet another cover that you did um and we'll do the ergs with ben queller Yeah. 
Uh, so back in the day, I mean, you were always close with James and the rest of the Kung Fu Monkeys. Uh, you guys went down to, with Mike Erg, down to Chapel Hill, and you guys just hung out for the weekend, right? And that's what cooking dinner with the KFM came from? Yeah, Mike Erg has a very particular diet. He doesn't eat food. Mm-hmm. so much um so that was kind of difficult james is an excellent host for us and his apartment in chapel hill was infested with rats and roaches uh which was not his fault i the main memory i have is that when we came came into his place he opened his fridge and then proceeded to throw everything in the fridge away like chunky milk <laughs> and like gray orange juice i can't even remember but he, so then we had the problem of trying to get food and like chapel has great like barbecue and soul food and like fried chicken so it was like hog heaven for someone with a more uh wide palate than mikey erg we had to feed him he only eats chicken nuggets and spaghetti so cooking dinner plain with, spaghetti which i think is changed subsequently plain though. spaghetti but with heavy amounts of, of salt. salt like he puts yeah. like two cups of salt on it or did at the time um so while we were waiting for the pasta water to boil we listened to a message on james's answering machine from one of his friends who had just seen the movie ai and then went on like a 15 minute rant out was the worst <laughs> movie he'd ever seen then we said, well, we might as well make a music video while we're while we're waiting for the water to boil. So I held like the little tiny camcorder and Mike played a, a Tupperware tub and James played the guitar and they sang a song about making dinner for, for the Kung Fu Monkeys, which at the time the Kung Fu Monkeys was just Mike Gerg and James. Right. So that's how that Lost Chestnut, which does appear on their, their new album. Yeah, it's one of those rare tracks. resurfaced. But I also, I was lucky. I visited James uh, both at his his father's house in um up in pelham 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 i went to pelham and um for his engagement party i went i visited him in la and he he played host to me after my the the person i was staying with turned out to live in this terrifying ghetto of uh los angeles where absolutely no buses came so i stayed there for exactly one day and then <laughs> stayed with james unplanned for the rest of the trip and uh his wife was very patient i would say to have she's an un- very unexpected she's... house guest She's a sweetheart. And that apartment that they had, was that the one with the with the crazy tarps? It was weird. It was, seemed to be like a loft space that was yeah. in transition. But the most exciting thing about it is across the way was all these weird manufacturing plants. And there was one that you could see from the garage that just said star pants, <laughs> which James really liked. I think they made custom pants, but he took a picture of the star pants sign. But his neighborhood in, in downtown LA was definitely in transition and in gentrification mode because it was kind of the campground for the homeless. So much so the yeah. city of Los Angeles had installed a sort of D-rings in the, the sidewalk so that the homeless people could pitch their tents for the night, and I'm not making that up. No, it was actually when I was there, which I'm wondering, probably was a little before you were, they had, uh, it was like a shanty town with cardboard boxes, but done incredibly well to the point that these cardboard boxes had rooms, and it was like you would have a multi-room cardboard well, box. I, I might be speaking out of my ear here, but like he had said that some humanitarian a homeless outreach uh, program had gone around and given like camping equipment to all the homeless and that's oh, wow. how the d-ring thing started is so that they could sense. pitch their tents so that was fun and then we also went to the 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 wedding that the wedding ep was recorded for we went to that and that was a you know 10 hour drive from new york city to the outer limits of new york and that was definitely interesting we listened to greece too in its entirety <laughs> about four times 
Um, we stopped at roadside attractions. And even when James was in New York, we've had some adventures. We went to this really awesome glasses store uh, with uh, him and his, his wife-to-be at the time so she could pick out her wedding glasses. Uh, it's a place that sells historical... They did the glasses for, like, Royal Tenenbaums and Capote. Like, oh, it's a historic. It's an awesome store if you're ever in New York. It's called Fabulous Fannies. And the guy there is this very jovial... It's a, it's a several gay men who all work together, but one is this very jovial, ponytailed, um, sort of larger, cheerful Santa Claus-like guy who, after, as James and his, his wife were making these purchases, uh, decided to tempt James's taste buds with some Russian candy. Uh, <laughs> and it was like a hot summer day. I don't know why he thought that James would like this. First, he convinced him he should buy a bow tie because only the extremely skinny and the extremely large can wear bow ties. And he I thought think that's James, fair. James fair. was just the guy to wear a bow tie. And then yeah, he, he could pull it off. Then he presented him with his box of dark chocolate-covered prunes stuffed with nuts or some incredibly <laughs> horrible combination. And uh, as grammat- James is as grammatically correct as he is polite. So he accepted it cheerfully, ate it, and then we got about four steps out of the store and out of this guy's field of vision, and he spat it in the street, utterly disgusted by this thing. <laughs> now, he probably delicately placed it in the garbage can, knowing him. That but is it was- James. Very, very foul candy that this cheerful man gave him. It was good times all around, I'd say, whenever you're hanging out with the Kung Fu Monkeys. Maybe follow-up album with the misadventures of the Kung Fu Monkeys. Uh, that's just about going to do it for us. Nobody'sSweetheart.com, which is something that we didn't plug as much as we should have. That's your website, correct? Yes, it's not updated. Maybe I will update it just for this podcast. Well, you've you... got your links to your blogs there and different your portfolio and enough contact information for yeah. all these smart people who are listening to hire you and do massive amounts of creative projects and pay you a top dollar that you're absolutely worth. That's Uh, as much as a fantasy is that you have listeners. Well, yeah, it is. It is that I... I mean, mom doesn't even listen to these things, so if she doesn't, who who would? In other plugs, wahorecords.com, and questions, comments, concerns, wao at Gmail. But once again, nobody's sweetheart. And any closing thoughts, Dinah? When you're on Super Deluxe and you find Keiki, tell a friend, please. Should we be writing Super Deluxe and pestering them about you know, where is it? Or is that the type of thing that's you just guys a are too... masters of your own fates? If you choose to do that, I'm not going to stand in your way. But the vagaries of running an internet business, I don't even know if they would respond. It'd be nice if they were up. That's all I'm going to say. Fair enough. Okay. And um, that's that. <laughs> Mommy,